Hello and welcome back to the Bicycle Mechanics Podcast. Today we're going to move forward with episode number eight. And we're going to kind of pick up a little bit where we left off last week about workspace tips. And I have um, a few tips I'd like to pass along uh, to kind of go with that that little piece we did last time. so my workspace tips would be number one, and probably one of the most important would be to keep it clean. Um, number two would be to keep it organized, which kind of goes right alongside of uh, keeping it clean. Uh, number three would be to have some music, um, even if it's uh, whatever kind of music it is, whatever helps you helps you work and and move things along. Um, I've always found that that really helps. Um, uh, my tip number four would be to encourage uh, others that you work with to keep their workspaces clean as well. Uh, you can keep your space clean, but if uh, the person working next to you or across from you is super messy, it can it can create some issues um, for both of you. So my tip number five uh, is kind of a little more long-winded than the first four, but kind of when it comes to prioritizing work... Um, I've always found that it's helpful to do the easy work first. Now, um, this kind of pertains to while you're working um, alone and um, all the jobs, the bikes to fix are yours to complete um, and kind of yours alone. Like, let's say you're in a shop alone or you're working for a team alone. Um, you're the only mechanic. Then then doing the doing the tough, uh, the tough bike kind of last kind of I have found actually helps. So especially in a race situation, this means that you you clear all the easy jobs, um, then put them away to the storage or wherever. And then you have only, hopefully, one or two problem bikes, uh, some, some cra- maybe crash damage, which is probably the most common, um, or a major mechanical um, that might have been your fault or maybe something just kind of wore out and needs to be replaced. Uh, so the idea of this is, for me... It's that the the visual clutter of all the other bikes um, that's right in front of that are right in front of you that you that you have to work on later. It it's really difficult uh, to kind of focus and kind of stay in a positive mindset. So um, if you can do all the easy ones first, and let's say you only have one or two bikes left uh, in your work stand, um, and you know then you're you're in a much better place, I have found, um, from my experience. So so kind of an example of this that uh, might help you a little bit would be, I was at a race once, I was working for uh, Chevrolet, LA Sheriff's uh, cycling team. I was the only mechanic uh, most of the time. And we had just finished a one-day race somewhere, and I had, I think, maybe eight or nine uh, racers. So I had nine bikes to eight or nine bikes to work on after the race and one of the bike there was a crash and uh, one of the guys bent his handlebars he was okay a little bit of road rash but um bent his handlebars and i think uh maybe the derailleur rear derailleur was was a little messed up uh, needed to be replaced um so that you know that's kind of a job that takes some time you know you got to replace those bars pull all the levers off you got to retape the bars possibly replace that rear derailleur so i looked around and i had these all these bikes that need to be worked on and I washed them all first. And then I decided just to get the seven or eight bikes done that didn't need the extra work. 
and got those done pretty quick because they were all in good shape and got them put away into the storage. And then it was just me and my toolbox and my stand in this one bike that needed the work. Um, much easier to, um, to manage uh, visually and physically when you just have that, that one bike left. Um, it puts you in a much better place um, for a lot of reasons. So there's, there's this uh, kind of a get it done like guru guy. His name is Brian Tracy. And he kind of doesn't agree with my take on that. He says in his books and tapes, he says, he says, eat the frog. So by eating the frog, what he means is to do the job that takes the most labor intensive uh, effort to do that first. But I kind of dis disagree with him when it comes to that, uh, when it comes to bicycle repair and especially in a team situation, um, kind of differ on that. So that's kind of my take on that. And those are my kind of workspace tips. Um, and I would uh, reiterate the number one and one or number two, keep it clean and keep it organized. So kind of moving on, we're going to uh, do a little bit more on uh, the Shimano story. Um, I think we might only have two more parts of this. Um, I keep thinking I'm going to be done on the next episode, but there's so much information and so much kind of interesting stuff in this story that I kind of don't want to, um, didn't want to uh, speed it along too much. So um, kind of where we're at now with Shimano, the year is 1973, and Shimano introduces Dura-Ace. Um, also in 1973, Campagnola Super Record Group was introduced. Uh, this was uh, this was Shimano's first attempt um, at professional quality road racing at a, at a professional quality road racing group, uh, directly challenging uh, Campagnola, who had dominated this category for years. Um, the name was proposed uh, uh, by Yoshizo, um, deriving from uh, Duralium. Um, a very hard alloy metal used uh, in the components and the durability combined with ACE. Um, so Dura-ACE components uh, were created uh, through the process of addressing problems that faced Shimano uh, in relation to product development in the 1970s. Um, at the time, much like uh, what we see today, individual manufacturers specialized in different parts. So complete bicycle manufacturers purchase parts from manufacturers with their own preferences uh, and then assemble them uh, into their bicycles. Uh, Yoshizo realized that no matter how superb Shimano parts were, it was impossible to, pr to produce uh, complete bicycles of high performance if the other parts were of a lower standard. As, as bicycle mechanics, uh, we see this almost daily when we remove a bicycle from its, its box and begin to assemble it. Um, as I've mentioned before, you've got your showcase piece uh, of componentry, the rear derailleur. Uh, then it kind of goes downhill from there. It would often seem to me the front derailleur was uh, an afterthought. Um, uh, well, we fixed the part of that system by, by going to a one-by system, apparently. So a little side note on this, um, <laughs> kind of funny, a good friend of mine who was a, a bike messenger for a time um, and enjoyed riding uh, single speed, uh, his name's Dan Harrison, uh, he enjoyed riding a single speed and, and said two things that I recall most um, of the time we spent working together, which was a few years. Um, and number one would be, uh, 
once while he was working on a troubled repair bike with a with front and rear derailleurs, he um, he simply muttered under his breath, uh, "Effing gears." <laughs> I'll never forget it. And then, and then my my probably my favorite uh, thing that that he said was. Um, one day we were discussing the, in, the introduction of uh, one-by drivetrains, uh, and and he simply said, uh, without even pausing, of course SRAM came up with the idea because they couldn't make a front derailleur that works. Um, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, not so sure it's true, but uh, it's still pretty darn funny if you've ever had a hard time uh, aligning or making a front derailleur work by any manufacturer. And, and so Shimano wanted to make components of, of the highest quality that uh, collectively function to enhance total performance um, based on the concept uh, system components. In 1973, Shimano sponsored a full-fledged European bicycle racing team. Not sure what the name of the team was. Somebody else out there might know, but I, I kind of did an internet search. I couldn't find anything. Um, the, the team members uh, at first did not accept Shimano products immediately. Um, so Shimano sent their, their staff to the team as mechanics to take care of its bicycles. Um, through this process, Shimano learned a lot by having its components on bicycles um, in the Euro on the European circuit. Uh, racers were, were much more sensitive, as we know, about selection of parts for their bicycles uh, than Shimano had ever anticipated. Um, so from reports sent back to the headquarters from the mechanics, uh, Shimano was able to gradually win the, the recognition of road racers, allowing Shimano to uh, penetrate the world of bicycle racing. Y Yoshizo would, would often visit uh, the Campagnolo booth uh, during trade shows. Um, during this time, Shimano uh, developed uh, SIS and STI, Shimano Index System and Shimano Total Integration. Uh, with these functions combined with DuraAce allowed Shimano to receive uh, high acclaim and so more racers uh, began to use their products. In 1988, Andy Hampston won the Giro d'Italia uh, riding Shimano DuraAce, um, kind of a big, big step for Shimano. Um, now we're going to kind of move on to um, the mountain bike uh, world and Shimano. And in in Marin County around 1976, mountain bikes were created. Um, we all kind of know the story. Uh, Yoshizo was a, was very excited about mountain bikes. Um, so in 1981, on a call to headquarters with his brothers Yozo, who is the current president at this time, and Kizo, who is executive uh, vice president. Um, he, he convinced his brothers to come to the Bay Area to visit Mount Tam. Um, Kizo asked Yoshizo, uh, do you really think mountain bikes will become more popular? And Yoshizo answered, absolutely yes. Yoshizo had, had been on Mount Tam and seen the excitement uh, in the faces of the riders on these machines firsthand. He knew this uh, mountain bike craze was, was going to take off. Uh, Kizo told Yoshizo, uh, if we decide to work on, on mountain bikes, um, we will have to suspend our current development plan for about two years and pour all our engineering staff into mountain bike development. If the project ends in failure, we won't be able to, to meet our next products on time. In that event, Shimano may go into bankruptcy or have to close it. So it's pretty heavy stuff. So 
Kizo had also done his, his own research uh, into the mountain bike potential and, and considered it promising. So Shimano began working on mountain bike comp components and at the risk of uh, long-term failure. They entered into research on mud and sand uh, by collecting uh, earth and sand of different particle sizes from all over the U.S. Uh, they, would, they would splash uh, muddy water over working samples repeatedly to test them thoroughly. Uh, in 1982, Dior XT was completed. When, when Gary Fisher saw it for the first time, he would say enthusiastically, this will be a worldwide hit. And he was right, it was a hit. Shimano dominated the mountain bike component market for several years. Uh, mountain biking uh, caught on in Europe, as well as uh, people wanted mountain bikes with Shimano parts. Um, so a little bit about the three brothers, the, the sons of, of Shimano's founder, Shozabiro Shimano, Yoshizo, Shozo, and Kizo. The, the oldest brother, Shozo, was uh, the strategist. He looked at Shimano from a broad perspective while also uh, taking advice from many friends, both inside and outside the industry. Uh, Shozo led uh, the company from the age of 30 and, and uh, patiently... Uh, carried the heavy burden of president. Um, in, in March of 1991, Shimano marked its 70th anniversary and was uh, renamed from Shimano Industrial Company to Shimano Incorporated. A party was held to celebrate the anniversary. Uh, the three brothers pedaled a three-seat bicycle onto the stage. Uh, Kizo wore racing shoes. Uh, Kizo was testing uh, racing shoes that were under development at the time. Kizo thought about bicycles all the time. Uh, he would ride home on a bicycle equipped with, uh, with trial products and would place it on the sofa and, and gaze at it while he was eating and drinking. Uh, Shozo and Kizo often had differences of opinion and at times wouldn't speak to each other for one or two months. Um, at times they'd call Yoshizo in the U.S. and ask him to come back to Japan for a while. Yoshizo, knowing his brothers weren't getting along, could, would, would head back to Japan immediately. Uh, he would visit with his brothers and have drinks to clear the awkward atmosphere um, caused by the conflict of, of opinions between them. Um, then he would head back to the U.S. Uh, Kizo wanted to build a Shimano factory in China. Uh, eventually, Shozo, current, the current president at the time, gave, gave it the okay but wanted to make sure they would they would stay this time. They had left China before. Shozabiro, uh, their father, who had once uh, constructed a small factory in China, but um, had to give it up um, bec due to uh, World War II. So Shimano constructed a factory near Shanghai and signed a 50-year lease on the land. Um, while the plan was to uh, export products from China uh, eventually, um, but the immediate uh, goal was to supply Shimano products to the Chinese domestic bicycle market. Um, around the same time, uh, Giant Manufacturing, a leading uh, compo uh, complete bicycle manufacturer in Taiwan, also moved into uh, Kunshan City and had plans to construct a manufacturing base in China. Um, Shimano and Giant established a friendly relationship. Um, currently, at this time, uh, top executives from uh, the
the two companies um, hold an opinion exchange party every year in Taichung and stay up late cheerfully talking over drinks. Um, back then, Kizo uh, would would explain would complain all the bicycles he had seen in China were heavy, old-fashioned, one-speed bikes known as roadsters. These bikes uh, were so cheap that putting Shimano parts on them made no sense at all. Um, the cost of, of raw materials um, from Shimano would exceed these bicycles' sale prices. So Shimano and Giant got together and produced new bicycles with uh, sporty designs and uh, a greatly different uh, appearance than that of the Roadsters. These new bicycles sold well and bicycle shops specializing in, in custom-made sport bikes began to be seen in China. In 1991, um, Shozo retired from Shimano. He had some health problems and said, I need some rest. Um, Yoshizo at this time returned to Japan. His brother Kizo undertook the office of president and Yoshizo assumed the position of vice president. Um, Yoshizo uh, spent 27 years living in the U.S. and the transition was difficult back to, the, back to life in Japan. He had moved to the West Coast in 1986 and had become very fond of its mild climate. He, he was accustomed to frank and open communication with staff members in the U.S. They greet him and say, say, hi, Yoshi. Uh, in Japan, staff members would say, good morning, executive vice president. And sadly, in the, in the spring of 1993, uh, Kizo became ill. Um, a surgery did not cure him. And in January of 1995, he passed away at the age of 62. Uh, Kizo was, was most like his father. He, he truly loved bicycles and technology. Um, Yoshizo assumed the role of president uh, two weeks after Kizo passed away. Um, uh, Shozo's son, Yozo, was also a candidate for the presidency, but Shozo said uh, Yozo is, is young and still needs more experience. Um, Yozo is the current president of Shimano. Um, Yoshizo did not enjoy being the president and commented that the six years as president were the toughest of his life, spiritually as well as physically. Uh, Yoshizo was was met with challenging times immediately. Um, the mountain bike boom was over um, after peaking in about 1993. Uh, the Japanese yen had uh, began soaring and in 1994 Shimano recorded substantial declines in both incomes and profits. And then to make it worse, in, in 1996, uh, the oldest of the three brothers, uh, Shozo, was diagnosed with, can with cancer. Um, and so in August of 1997, uh, with the company kind of in a, in a downward trend, um, an early retirement program was introduced uh, with special benefits. Um, of the 100 managers who the program was, was offered to, only about 20 took advantage of it. Um, in 1999, the early retirement program was expanded to all staff members over 40 years old. Uh, about 150 employees applied to the program. So that's kind of where we'll leave off uh, with Shimano for this time. I think, um, like I've said before, I said we'd be able to finish it up next time. I think, uh, I think we will. Um, so that's the Shimano story. And um, our next story, we're going to talk a little bit. Um, it's a kind of a, 
story kind of from the road um, about working for a team and it's called uh, kind of it's called transitions so at at the end of the 1996 uh, race season after the tour of china uh, with the the chevrolet LA, la sheriff's team uh back in santa barbara i got the call that all team mechanics dread um, dave latiri called me to inform me uh, chevrolet had decided to end their sponsorship of our team as Dave put it, we got the flick. Um, it was a sad day. I loved working uh, for that team, probably the best job I've ever had. Um, we were a tight-knit group, uh, no surprises, very well-planned uh, logistically. Um, great, great cast of racers, um, Malcolm Elliott, Steve Haig, Jeff Pierce, uh, The Tank, Jim Copeland, Scott Moniger, uh, Roberto Gaggioli, Klasna, just to name a few. Um, uh, super, super great crew. Um, uh, Dave, the, the team, uh, boss, uh, Latiri was such a great logistics guy. Um, uh, often bigger budget teams would, would copy his ideas. Um, whether it was our training camp location or, uh, where we stayed at certain races. Um, we were always, we always seemed like we were a step ahead. Um, it was, it was sad to say goodbye to that team and sunny Santa Barbara uh, as well, a place I called home for two years uh, when I wasn't on the road. I, I recall uh, when I told my landlord um, in, in Santa Barbara, actually I, I lived in Goleta, which was a little bit uh, north of Santa Barbara, kind of by the college, um, told my landlord, this an elderly lady who rented out rooms, uh, mostly to college students uh, from University of uh, California, Santa Barbara, um, when I told her I was moving, she asked if I knew anyone else like me uh, looking for a room to rent. Pretty funny. So, uh, like me, you mean, uh, uh, pays the rent uh, sometimes two months in advance, um, and they're hardly ever in the house. Uh, nope, don't know anybody else. Um, sorry. <laughs> so I moved back to California, to the Bay Area for two years, um, and worked at Wheelsmith uh, the first year, and then... Um, went back to my old original bike shop um, for the second year and rode my bike a lot making up for lost time in the saddle for the from the previous four years um, it was sad because I hadn't left uh, the race mechanics world by choice um, I tried to get on with other teams but um, teams were tough you know tough for money tough times um, not enough budget or they already had really good mechanics um, then it happened. Um, I got a call from uh, from Dave Pitts uh, at the Saturn Cycling Team. They needed someone, and I didn't have have to live in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which had been a thing I, I really didn't want to do. So I, I took the job, and um, I couch surfed uh, at Dave's. Um, his girlfriend Steph, uh, now his wife, uh, wasn't stoked, but. Um, I wasn't there much uh, once the season started. Um, I lived out of uh, hotel rooms for the better part of two years. Um, I once worked every day for six weeks straight uh, between uh, races and driving. Um, it was intense. Um, my first year with Saturn, I was appointed to be the, the women's team mechanic. Um, this was different for me. I had never worked exclusively for a women's, te a women's team. Um, this was so different for me, but in a great way. This was uh, 
this was the number one women's team in the world that year. The, we, we had Olympic medalists, world champions, um, and everything in between. National champions, writers from at least five different countries that I can remember. Um, at one point, we, we raced in Europe for three weeks. At, at one point, um, a German took the lead in the stage race that we were in and um, on the first day. And kind of slowly over the next 10 days or so, our team took back time almost every day. Um, we took the lead uh, the day before the final stage. Um, it was so fun to be a part of. So un unlike uh, with the U.S. national team, uh, men's road team, and the Chevrolet LA Sheriff's teams, um, Saturn was a really large team. Um, something like uh, 20 racers, uh, three mechanics full-time, uh, three swaneers, and the directors. Um, we were under uh, management of team sports um, led by Tom Schuler, um, probably one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Um, team sports uh, managed uh, the Saturn cycling team, uh, a rollerblade team, a women's cycling team uh, uh, called Timex, um, and the Volvo Cannondale mountain bike team. Um, so Saturn had one side of the warehouse and Volvo Cannondale had the other side. Um, so, you know, when it comes to team mechanics, talk about an interesting job as a mechanic, uh, working for a mountain bike team, uh, seems like it'd be easy. Um, when you think about it as a road mechanic, no caravan, no, um, no stage races, always hanging out in the same mountain town. But I learned it was, it was a pretty tough job, um. With Volvo Cannondale, it seemed like uh, they were getting uh, new frames in all the time. The me mechanics were constantly building up the, the next CAD frame. And on top of that, they had uh, some Cannondale parts to go with them. Uh, Coda hydraulic brakes, um, need I say more. So uh, Christoph Essayen was um, one of the mechanics um, for that team. And I got to know him pretty well. And we actually worked together um, in earlier days with, when I was with Chevrolet LA Sheriffs. So um, I, ha I know a few mountain bike mechanics from, from years past, and I probably um, at some point am going to interview them and get a little more insight as to the, the, uh, what it's like to be a team mechanic for a mountain bike team. So that's kind of it for, for this episode of the Bicycle Mechanics podcast. And uh, in a couple weeks, we'll do a show on, I have a story about the Tour of Austria when I worked the Tour of Austria, which was a, a super fun race. And I also uh, interviewed a few mechanics and kind of wanted to know how people became uh, bicycle mechanics and what got them into the industry, whether it's in a shop or as a team mechanic. Um, some interesting folks uh, in that um, in that survey. It's kind of a, a fun, fun one. So um, in the meantime, I'd like to invite you to... Um, join, uh, join, check us out at uh, Instagram on the Bicycle Mechanics podcast at Instagram. Or if you have any questions or comments, concerns, grievances, you can always email me directly at the Bicycle Mechanics podcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, we will talk again in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening.